Welcome to the All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. We are committed to being rooted in the scriptures and the historic Christian faith and to kingdom life in the power of the Holy Spirit. As you listen, may you be encouraged and empowered to know the Lord Jesus and make Him known. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. Okay, so we're looking at Jude 17 to 23. This is our next to last time looking at this. And we would end next week, but Brandon Pemberton is going to preach next week. Yes, he's going to bring it. John 7, it is going to be rich. We're going to be at the Vineyard Conference in North Carolina. And I'll be back the following week and we'll wrap up Jude with the doxology. It's one of the most beautiful in the whole New Testament, a word of praise. That's how Jude ends. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us, that you would cause our hearts to burn with truth, with the love of God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the spirit of truth, that you give us the word, that you inspire the word. And so we ask you to bring the word home into our hearts today. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is part five. We've been looking at Jude's neglected word. A lot of people overlook Jude. It's right before Revelation, sandwiched there after the epistles of John, but we're seeing that the message there, contending for the faith, is incredibly timely for us right now. And we're seeing that Jude really isn't just an anti-guy, and you're going to see that today. He goes after false teachers and false teaching and calls the church then and now to root it out, to be bold and courageous and root out the effect of false teaching. And God knows that we need to hear that today. So, but he's not just addressing and railing on the false teachers and the false teaching. He's pro-things. And we've talked about that. He doesn't just unmask the false teachers, but he also says you have to replace this with the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus, the whole counsel of Scripture. And we're going to see that today in verses 17 to 23. He's going to lay out the positive the pro-message that he's got of the message of Jesus, the full counsel of God. So let's read uh, verses 17 to 23. We're going to read it in pieces here, 17 to 19. Make some comments about remembering the apostles' predictions, and then we'll look at the second piece here. Jude 17 through 19. But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people devoid of the Spirit who are causing divisions. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 20. Listen to what he says. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on some who are wavering. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and have mercy on still others with fear. 
hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. So he starts here, verses 17 through 19, and he says, remember the apostles' predictions. It's important to see, though, that he frames this whole letter. If you look back at verse 1 and verse 2, the whole message here that Jude is giving us is framed with love. He calls the church there, that local church, probably in first century Palestine, he calls them beloved. So he's doing that again here twice at verse 17 and verse 20. The whole letter is rooted in the love of the Father for this church. And he wants them to know the Father loves you. He's crazy about you. He's for you. He sent his son. He sent the apostles. And so we're seeing that the challenging word that he's laying out here, it's rather startling in places, is framed in the love of God. Look at what he calls them to remember. He's reminding them to be vigilant. He's laying out at verse 18. He's saying the apostles have forewarned. They forecasted that this day would come. How do they know, church? How did the apostles know that these things would take place? Jesus. Jesus told them. Jesus said to them, tough days are ahead. I'm establishing my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. At the same time, there will be people that will try to put you in prison. There will be people that will try to infiltrate the church. You remember what we saw in Matthew 7? Jesus said there will be people that pretend to be sheep among you, but they're wolves. And so Jude is reminding them. He's saying the apostles have warned of these things. What does he mean when he talks about there, verse 17 and 18, about the last time? Let me me just ask you, do we live in the last days? Do we live in the last time? Some of you are, yeah. How do we know that? Are we saying that, yes, we live in the last time, we live in the last days, and Will knows when Christ is returning in the next three years? That's not what we're saying at all. But did you know the last days were initiated with Christ's resurrection and ascension? That is when the age to come invaded human history like never before. And so Jude, like the other apostles, the other writers, say the last days are here. The last time is here. We don't know when he's going to, the Lord Jesus, consummate everything, but he's telling the church in the first century and telling us, you live in the last days. You live in that time between times. We've talked many times here about that analogy from World War II. You remember in June of 1944, there was D-Day. The Allied troops invaded Normandy, France, the beaches, and they pretty much decimated the Axis powers and destroyed Hitler's army and made a spearhead and a beachhead, and the war was over. But then there was 11 months of fierce fighting where tens of thousands of soldiers lost their lives, but the game was over. And so it was May of 1945, V-Day, the day of victory happened. Friends, we live in that interim. We live in the time between times, and that's what Jude is saying to the church. He's saying you live between the already and the not yet. Christ will come again, and that's what he's going to speak about here in a moment. 
But he's warning them. He said, there are these people, verse 18, in the last days, there's going to be people that scoff, people that have, they're without the Holy Spirit. They live life based on pursuing their ungodly lusts. He says there at verse 19, these are people devoid of the Holy Spirit. They're causing divisions in the church. Then he's going to shift gears here at verse 20. This is where he gives his pro message here. He's talking about rooting the things out, being aware of the false teachers. And now he's going to shift gears and say, this church is how you contend for the Christian faith. This is how you contend for the whole counsel of God that's given to the saints, the message of the kingdom, the message of the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Look at some of the verbs he says here. He says at verse 20, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. This is a common image, isn't it? In the New Testament, can you think of other places in the New Testament where the building metaphor is used? What's our foundation, church? Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.11, Jesus Christ is the only sure foundation. And that's what Jude is, he's looking at the church and he's saying, you know who the foundation is. You know what the foundation is. Now you build yourselves up on that. Jude knows these things. He has it in mind. He's even read the writings of Paul. We know that because he's weaving some of the same words that Paul has used in his early epistles. We know from Ephesians 2 that Christ is the sure foundation. He's the cornerstone and then he's given his teaching, his way of life to the saints, to the apostles, to the prophets and we build ourselves up on this sure foundation. It's glorious, isn't it? Look at the next thing he says there. He's gonna spell out what it means to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. What's the first thing he says you do there? It's interesting. Part of building yourselves up on the most holy faith, what's contained in scripture is what? You pray. You pray by your own determination. Is that what it says? You grit your teeth and endure prayer. Is that what the verse says? It says pray in the Holy Spirit. There's no other prayer, really. This is the third person of the Holy Trinity. And so Jude is going to show us even the instruction that he gives to the church is structured and rooted in the person of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. He says you build yourselves up on the most holy faith, the teachings of the apostles, the prophets, it's been delivered to the saints from Christ, and you begin with prayer. You pray. Paul talks about praying without ceasing. We can grow into that place where the Spirit of God living in us prays and teaches us how to pray and commune with God. Now he's contrasting this with the false teachers because they're without the Holy Spirit. They're like animals led by their instincts. And he's saying, not you, church. You build yourselves up by praying in the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are, as true believers, we're born again by the Holy Spirit, aren't we? Jesus says that in John 3. The apostles tell us that we're sealed with and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed into the same image as Jesus by the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3. 
There's no life in Christ without life in the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? Some people wonder here, maybe you do, when you hear pray in the Holy Spirit, do you think perhaps Jude could be talking about the gift of tongues? What do you think, church? I think so. I think that's part of it. That's probably not specifically what he's getting at. That alone, he's saying you pray because you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Spirit. He transforms your mind. He gives you the words to pray. Romans 8, he teaches you how to pray according to the will of God for the saints. But friends, when the Holy Spirit is in us, there are times that he lets the gift of tongues rip. Now it's up to him to give the gift however he chooses. So we're not that church that says, if you're truly a Christian and you're mature, you have to pray in tongues. We know that's not true. What does Paul actually say about the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14? He says, some of you will pray in tongues. But I sure want to ask for it. Anybody else? Sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. So like all the gifts, we go to the Father and say, Lord, we want that. To pray in the Holy Spirit certainly includes the gift of tongues. It's a mystery, isn't it? The Spirit of God giving us words to pray that transcend even the English language or whatever language we speak in. He's laying out here, look at it, verse 20 and 21. He's talking about the faith, the instruction from Jesus. Jesus is rooted in the Old Testament prophets, so we're getting the Old Testament prophets. We're getting the Lord Jesus, the greatest teacher, the greatest apostle, and then we're getting the writings of the apostles. It's the word of God, isn't it? It's what we have in scripture. But then Jude is saying, because the early church knew this, it's the word of God and it's the spirit of God. It's both together. So if we're gonna build ourselves up in our most holy faith, we're people of the book, people of scripture, spending time daily reading the word of God, praying the Bible, letting the Lord transform our minds and our hearts, and we're people of the Spirit at the same time. This is interesting. Look at verse 21, that first part there. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's one of the most beautiful phrases in the whole letter, isn't it? Keep yourselves in God's love. So now we have the Father. We started with the Spirit, and now we have the Father, the first person of the Holy Trinity. We've seen that the letter is framed with Jude calling the church beloved. You are so loved. The Father has set his love on you. He's called you. He's marked you with love. And now, church, he says at verse 21, keep yourselves in that love. I love the image, and I picked this up from somewhere along the way, someone, that the love of God is like a waterfall. And our goal each day hopefully at the start of the day, is to get under that waterfall just for a little bit. Spend time with the Father because his love is flowing all the time. His mercy is new every day. His love is new every day. And Isaiah 30, 18 says he longs to be gracious to us. Can you believe that? That's the God that we have. And 
oftentimes we drift from the waterfall, don't we? Anybody else? I'm like, ah, I get too busy. I'm too anxious. I'm not sure you really love me. Do you like me? And Jude is saying, no, no, no. Look, look at how he phrases it. Keep yourselves in it. He's saying you're already in the love of God. He's saying to the church, you live in the waterfall. Take it in. Let the Father love you. Keep yourself in the love of God. Do you see how pro and affirmative he is here? He's gone after the false teachers, hasn't he? I mean, dude, he is relentless on pointing them out, calling the church to discern them, identify them, what they teach. But he's also saying, ah, keep yourself in the love of God. The Father loves you. He's poured out his spirit into your hearts. The love of God through the spirit of God. It's glorious. Now we have to interpret scripture with scripture, don't we? Anybody else do that? I look at that and I'm like, huh, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard about remaining or abiding in the Father's love? Someone tell me. If you were going to interpret scripture with scripture, Jude says this, where would you go? John 15, thank you. That's right, Jude knows that. The teachings of Jesus were being circulated. He was the brother of Jesus. And Jesus, listen to what he says in John 15, because he is the master teacher. He's the greatest teacher to ever live. Paul's wonderful, but Jesus is the man, right? He is the greatest teacher and disciple maker. And listen to what he says about remaining in the Father's love. He tells us, we remain in the Father's love. This is at verse 10 of John 15. We remain in the Father's love as we obey his commandments. And as Jesus kept the Father's commandments, he remained in the Father's love. So we know, yes, the Father's love is like a waterfall and we climb under it, we get under it each day, open our mouths, let it wash over us and transform us as we read his word. But it's more than that, isn't it? He's telling the church, you remain in the Father's love as you obey him. As you do what he says. He puts his spirit in you, the spirit guides us and leads us, and we have to listen to the voice of the spirit if we're going to stay in the Father's love. But how beautiful is it? It's not a heavy word here. It's not a heavy yoke because what Jesus says is an easy yoke, isn't it? It's refreshing. It's good for our souls. Remain in the Father's love. That'd be a pretty good arrow prayer this week, wouldn't it? Try that this week. Father, I want to remain. I want to be kept in the Father's love. I want to be kept in your love this week. Help me obey you more. Help me grow in the awareness of your love for me. Help me grow in obedience from the heart. It's glorious, isn't it? I was thinking this week of Jake and how much I love my son. I don't see him much because he got car keys and a driver's license. And so I get to see him and love him for about 30 or 45 minutes a week because he's constantly running around and has jobs here and there and social time. And, but I love him. He is my son. 
And he keeps himself in my love by knowing confidently how much I love him. I mean, he knows I love him in and through everything. Even if I'm tripping over his shorts and socks and underwear as I'm making my way through a room, he knows. Even if I throw it in his shower as a reminder to do his laundry, he knows my father loves me. He's trying to teach me and keep the house from being overtaken by my dirty clothes. He knows I just love him. He's not here, so I can say all that stuff, right? I love him no matter what. He's an amazing kid, but he also does what I say. And I have guidelines because that's part of being in our house and being a Bingaman is he doesn't just get to do whatever he wants at any time. He has a curfew and we love him through those guidelines that are offered and it's for his good. He knows it. It's the same with the father, isn't it? We're secure in the Father's love. He loves us through it all. There's nothing. If you are a child of God, you've been born again, he puts his spirit in you. He never wavers in his love. It's unreal. It's up to us to remain in the Father's love. Look at verse 21, the latter part of that. So we've seen here, we pray in the spirit, we keep ourselves in the love of God then look at this. We look forward to the mercy of Jesus. What in the world is that about? So we've got now the second person of the Holy Trinity. We've had the Spirit of God. We've got God the Father. And now we have God the Son. And so Jude is rooting all of this in the revelation of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What do you think he means when he says, look forward to Jesus' mercy? He urges them to maintain their faith, doesn't he? At verses 21 and 22, maintain your faith and anxiously await the merciful return of Jesus. That's what he's looking at here. Now, friends, if you remember back earlier in Jude, even in the last section, where he's laying out some biblical things, but he quoted from 1 Enoch 1.9, how he, he said Jesus, the Messiah, would return and he would deal with his opponents, including the false teachers, and how does it go for them at the return of Christ? Yeah, a big thumbs down. It does not go well. <laughs> Someone did this, yeah. They've had opportunity after opportunity to repent and to receive him and his lordship and they've resisted and they've infiltrated the church and they're damaging the people of God. And so when Christ returns in great power and glory with the angels, the saints with him in fire, Paul says that people will marvel at him. It does not go well for those who oppose him. At the same time, look at what Jude says for Christians. It's the mercy of Jesus. And friends, they talked about the second coming of Christ all the time in the early church. All the letters are just peppered with he's coming again. He will return. 
He will be marveled at, at among his saints. He will come in holy fire. He will bring his angels with him. He'll judge the unrighteous, and he will bring mercy to his people. It's glorious to see here. One person said this, and I want to read it, and then we'll end with some comments at the end about the rescue plan that he invites us into. But listen to this. There's a guy named Gene Green, a Pentecostal theologian who studied Jude for many decades. He says, Jude reminds the church of the end so that they may live godly lives in the present. Having a lively expectation of final consummation of the kingdom of God at Christ's return is not escapist, but frames and informs Christian life in the present age. So friends, they talked about the second coming of Jesus a lot. They anticipated it. Judgment on his opponents and mercy for them. This is startling here. Let's end with this. Verse 22, 23. And again, what, what the backdrop is here, the church has been infiltrated by cunning, camouflaged false teachers that take grace and slightly twist it so that it leads to all kinds of distortion, including biblical sexual ethics. They've twisted the idea of Jesus as Lord because they're rebellious and they really at their heart won't submit to the Lordship of Jesus and they won't submit themselves to the body of Christ where his Lordship is manifest through leaders and pastors that care. And he's saying, this has had an effect on people among you. Look at what he says here. He uses three verbs, 22 and 23. What's he say, church? Have mercy. Verse 23, what? Save. Have mercy. So Jude is inviting the church that's been impacted by false teachers and false teaching, and he's saying you can be a part of the rescue plan. There are people among you right now who've been poisoned by twisted doctrine. And he's saying, church, look around. You actually, the Lord's going to use you to not only root out the false teachers and the false teaching, but to help the people that have been poisoned by it. You have a part to play. And he's not speaking to the leaders only, is he? He's not just saying, okay, leaders, pastors. He's speaking to the whole church. Friends, this is a word for us now. We've seen false teaching is blowing through culture. It's blowing through the church. And we have a part to play. We pray for the gift of discernment. We confront false teaching head on with our Bibles open. And the whole church has a part to play to bring mercy. Look at the first group here. There's three groups. One group is wavering. They've been affected. They've been poisoned. And they're wobbling. And so Jude says, go and help them unwobble. Help reinforce their faith. Get them to cough that stuff up. Might include some inner healing, some deliverance. Have mercy on them. Look at the second verb there at 23. Save others. And what's the the description here, snatching them out of the fire. And Jude is referencing from Zechariah, there's a word picture where the prophet Zechariah is talking about snatching people from the fire. He's saying there are some 
who are not just wobbly, but some that are on the brink of going fully with the false teachers. Rescue them. Save them. Of course, not salvifically. Only Christ does that through his blood, but through the blood of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, pull them out of the fires of hell. Friends, it's sobering. And then he ends there with, have mercy on others. And look what he says, with fear. Do you think he means go into it trembling? Oh, I'm not sure I should do this. What do you think he means, church? You're having mercy, you're saving, you're rescuing with the fear of the Lord. Have the fear of the Lord in your heart. Let's stand. Hope you're seeing what an amazing letter this is, how timely it is. I just want to end with this. Friends, we are invited not only to watch over our own souls and our our friends and those that were in fellowship, our families, but the Lord invites us into his rescue plan. And so I want us to be praying in the coming days. We've mentioned some of the things, and I end with this, some of those winds that are blowing through the church, what I would call poison, the social justice agenda that replaces the gospel of the kingdom. And we looked at how even good discussion about justice, I think it should be biblical justice, not social justice, the things like gender, a fixation on that, fixation on race that divides us, we're all one in Christ, sexuality, stuff's blowing through the church. And so it's up to us to discern that in this local church and root it out in love and mercy. We also looked at political ideology, right? Didn't we? We're trying to step on toes, right? Everybody's toes, just like Jude did. Political ideology versus kingdom theology. We're politically involved and active, but we're not preaching the Republican or the Democrat gospel here. Amen? We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God that overrides all political structures. Other things I could talk about. But Lord, we just pray that you would fill us with boldness and with mercy and with love. You would give us discernment that we would remember your word, be rooted in the word of God. In the love of God, we'd pray in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for these words, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. I'm gonna ask the ministry team to come up.